This episode of The Concession Stand is brought to you by Blueberry. Blueberry offers the best media hosting, accurate listening stats, and their all-new PowerPress Deluxe sites. It's a no-setup WordPress website for your podcast with all of the necessary links to share your show with the world built right in. If you currently produce a podcast and are looking for a better media host or looking to start a new one from scratch, head on over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash popcorn to sign up for the best media hosting and a PowerPress Deluxe site and get your first month absolutely free. That's orbitaljigsaw.com slash popcorn, or just use the promo code popcorn at checkout for your first month free. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, this is Nick. And this is Sir Ian Dangerous, and we are from the Busted Wide Open Podcast. The show that drops the big elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. And you are listening to The Concession Stand on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and TV to consoles and video games. Don't let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the Concession Stand Podcast. And if you're joining us for the first time, we are glad to have you on board for episode number 61. This is going to be our special bonus review episode where we break down a big release, give a spoiler-filled take on it. This time, it is Ready Player One. I'm Nick Howell, and sitting across from me, Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you, sir? I am great, but we cannot get started without two things. Number one, crack a beer. And number two, I believe you have to give one of your classic spoiler alerts. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, Yes, we are going to assume that if you're listening to this episode that you have seen Ready Player One, you are familiar with the concepts of the film, and we're going to break down everything in borderline excruciating detail. So, spoiler warning, from this point forward, we're going to talk about some deep, deep spoilers and our thoughts, analysis, and everything that went into Steven Spielberg's uh, Ready Player One. Andy, why don't you kick things off and just kind of give us your quick reaction, your quick thoughts of the movie before we get really too deep into anything. Yeah, we're, we're two hours f- removed from seeing this in a theater uh, in 3D, so it almost felt like we had our own set of glasses on, just like the people in the movie. Um, I, this immediately reminded me of that classic South Park episode, Imagination Land, where all those things like were fighting each other and are in, a, in, a, in a, like this... Imagination <laughs> exactly. Land. Um, it took all, uh, like it was like a tour through like uh, the video game hardware and like the pop culture references that you know we both grew up with. It, um, we were constantly getting bombarded with like brief glimpses of these characters and vehicles interacting with each other. And I just wish this video game that they were playing in the movie was actually available, where all of those things could interact with each other. Because the way that we grew up, you know, you're always wondering what would it be like if, if Superman fought Spider Man. Like something like that could have happened in a movie like this. So uh, it was it was a fun thrill ride, and it was way better than I expected it to be. Yeah, going in, for me, I, I went in kind of with this, I, I use the phrase skeptical optimism every yep, now yep, and then. Yep. I was skeptically optimistic that this was that I was going to enjoy this, but at the same time going, eh, I don't know if he pulled it off. He, uh, he pulled it off. Uh, I'll say that out front. Uh, we're, we'll get into more about that, but I, I pine for the days. As many people know, many listeners know, I am a, a video game player as well. I play a lot of World of Warcraft. I have for many years now, 15 years almost. I can't understand why I don't have a treadmill and a pair of VR glasses to run around in an open world kind of scenario like World of Warcraft, where all of these kinds of things that we watched were, uh, take place. Yeah. 
So instead of driving it with a mouse and keyboard, we have gestures and all of that, you know, a sensitive suit and all that. I can't wait for the day, like you said, you want to go play this game now. I can't wait for the day where all of that stuff becomes available in the real world to kind of insert you into the kind of virtual reality world. Uh, but let's put the story aside and the, the flim flam back and forth between the, the real world and the virtual stuff. But real, I want this now. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of halfway there. I mean, we've got the virtual reality thing. I was just down at a Comic-Con uh, uh, in Anaheim a couple weekends ago. And there were four people in like a in about a twenty by twenty square that put on virtual uh, goggles, and we had a gun in our hands, and we were all able to interact and see what each other was doing. And it was like a uh, like a battle of like all these like uh, alien ships and aliens coming at us. And like I played with my daughter, so like it was kind of close to this experience that we saw in this movie. But you know, it's 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 a couple years away. But yeah. It's promising. I feel like we're close. It feels like it's right around the corner. If you look at the, some of the things that Blizzard is doing right now to, in today's world, gaming world, there is this uh, intermix yeah. of real-world currency and in-game currency. Some of the things like you saw where you could use in-game currency to buy. He bought the suit yep. with, with gold. He was buying all those items, etc. So it feels like there's some of that that's on the horizon eventually, but I think we've got to get there with the other hardware stuff to to do that. So... Uh, this movie just opened this weekend. Yep. Um, walk me through how it performed and and what uh, what the expectation is long term. It, it uh, apparently it tracked better or it did better than it tracked. So they they always think that it's going to make this much money based on whatever polls they've done with people before they see it. So uh, including Thursday uh, over the holiday weekend, it made fifty three million domestically. It did one hundred and twenty eight million worldwide uh, or internationally, and that's a total of one hundred eighty one million. The budget before they made this movie was supposed, or before they um, uh, did the advertising, was supposed to be at one hundred and seventy five million. Damn. Granted, that's not the profit yet because um, you know, according to the crazy Hollywood algorithm that we'll never understand, a movie needs to make about five hundred million uh, on a one hundred seventy five million dollar budget globally. In order to turn a profit, I don't. I'll never understand how that works. But, <laughs> it's good uh, thing we're not line producers. A couple of other quick fun facts. Uh, this was filmed from early July 2016 to late September 2016, so that spent roughly a year and a half in post, which shows completely on the screen that it took that long. Spielberg went off and made this other little movie called The Post in the meantime as well. You know, because he's Spielberg. Tom and Hanks then, and Meryl Streep. Yeah. One yeah. other thing that I that I grabbed from the internet that I thought was really interesting was um, uh, in the Mark Rylance role of James Halliday. The original idea was to have Gene Wilder play that, who is kind of like a Willy Wonka character. But of yeah. course, uh, Spielberg had approached him, I guess, back in 2015. But of course, uh, his untimely death made that impossible. But there, can you imagine <laughs> if if that had been Gene Wilder would have just been perfect. Yeah, and I, one other thing that I wanted to say here, just to kind of cap off my my quick reaction stuff, was um, there was an element of this that felt like it was our Tron, that it was, uh, you know, our parents and, and that generation sort of had their second life kind of moment with Tron. Yeah, living inside felt, a computer. Yeah, this felt like it could be, this could be our Tron, yeah. or maybe even Gen Y's Tron of sorts, right? Sure. Whatever they are. I, I can't keep up, yeah. but the point is it, it felt there were a lot of similarities and a lot of ties into what went on with that. Um, and I saw a lot of stuff there. So, I mean, with that said, let's, let's really get into um, what worked. Well, the let's basic, talk about the good yeah, first. The basic story works. Obviously it's, it's somebody that's in a dystopian future in the entire world of, of down on their luck people. And the people that aren't a large corporation live in stacks of things and there's trash everywhere. And yeah. they put on their virtual reality headsets to escape real life and then they can go and have a character just like we do in our our video games now and like you said we collect gold and we can buy stuff and we become somebody else and we don't use our real name and we interact with people but we never actually meet them in real life 
But it turns out that the creator of this game, uh, the James Holiday character, played by Mark Rylance, amazingly, by the way, um, basically left like an Easter egg in the game for, for whoever to find after his uh, death. And if you find this, then you become the owner of all of the whatever virtual currency and all the, the whatever the game provides for all of you. Willy Wonka. So, exactly. So that's our that's our starting point. Yeah. So. Um, that the whole movie is is a chase to the the golden Easter egg, which you know is just another reference to everything that we do when we play video games. Is look for all the fun Easter eggs, and this this was you know, coming Easter weekend. It, it comes out. I mean, it couldn't it couldn't have been any better time. Now, things that worked. Um, I'll I'll let you start. Yeah, I mean, the way they assumed intelligence of the audience and just got right into it. Literally, I mean, we had an interesting intro monologue by the main character who basically laid out. Oasis right. and what this virtual world was as and, he's walking through it and right, we as see he's it parkouring down his from his house that's stacked up very high right um, I, I like the way that they assumed the intelligence of the audience this is something we really give Christopher Nolan a lot of credit for he's been vocal about saying this kind of thing is just don't feel like you have to explain everything in excruciating detail to the audience to get to make sure that they're going to enjoy the film uh, assume they're intelligent enough to to, to come along for the ride and and I feel like that that really happened here without a lot of that unnecessary build and and what the circumstance and the side effect of that is is that it leaves all of that time that you would have spent for the actual storytelling that went on in the movie you know the beginning to end coverage of it all yeah and I think because we live in the virtual reality world people putting on a headset and escaping into some other thing isn't such a foreign concept or something like wait a minute I don't know how would that work like it you kind of know how that works maybe we do just because we we're familiar with the video game side of it but I think in general VR has sort of become kind of a thing in our world now that you're right. They don't waste any time. He puts on the thing. We set up like a little bit and then suddenly we're right off into that first car chase thing with the DeLorean and Bigfoot and like all in the Batmobile from the 60s. And we're right in like in every you're looking into every corner of the screen trying to recognize something that, you know, you know, and then every time you just get excited when you see something like, oh, it's it, and it's gone. And then, oh, it, and then like you, you, you have to go see this movie again to try and catch it all. I bet. Yeah, I think IGN put out an article that said there were 138 total Easter eggs. Yeah, we could read them off, but that would take a no, long time. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Just go see the movie several times. And yeah. I, again, I'll say I, I immediately came out of it wanting to see it immediately again. Not just for that, but it was just it was that enjoyable. Um, the second thing I want to say here is uh, what a momentous feat the CGI has become in modern films. And I think this was a shining example of that. If you go back to something like Avatar with the the E3D or whatever, the fusion camera system that Cameron yep. innovated in the 2000s, uh, I think that was a milestone. And where we are today, if you look at things like the CG that they do in the Transformers movies, the CG that they did in this film, and just all around. Planet of the Apes with the motion capture of faces yeah. and Last Jedi and it that is, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's gotten to a point now with mocap and the detail that we've gotten to in modern CGI. And, and this film absolutely took it to new heights. I can't. It's no wonder it took them two years just to do all of the post-production mocap shooting and and special effects yeah. kind of stuff luckily because we're in a virtual real world you're not trying to necessarily recreate like photorealistic humans and that right. kind of stuff so that kind of works in our favor in this case where you're not kind of like like really eyeing this like you would like a, a grand admiral uh uh grand moff tarkin in rogue one or or leia in in rogue one you know where you're like mm, i don't know if that's uh, you know what i mean yeah. is that cg you're not, you, you don't even think about that because you're in this virtual world anyway so you just accept it so anything could blow up anything can happen and it's just like oh king kong's gonna smash this thing sure why not you'd never like for a second be like that's cg you yeah. never say that in this movie because you're in that world yeah and and the last thing i'll say here before I, I let you chime in is that i literally felt like i was in this game along for the ride cheering him on as he kind of 
went over these hurdles and, and blockades and obstacles to find the final keys, I literally felt like I was along for the ride with this. And, and I don't know if that's Spielberg, his framing, his storytelling, his pace of everything, but I just I, I really felt like I was part of this as we watched the film. And I think a part of this... Here's the one of the first one of four movies that that uh, Spielberg has done without John Williams's music. But Alan Silvestri jumps into the role here, and he's he was the Back to the Future composer. Yep. And we had sort of like a Back to the Future sounding thing at some times. Then we also had that sort of eighties nineties Williams sound a couple of times, where there was a, there was a few moments where I was like, wait a minute, Williams didn't write this because it sounds like it. And I guess Spielberg said that. Um, uh, all sorts of um, culturally iconic references populate Ready Player One. The score that Sylvester composed is completely and intoxicatingly original. It's bound together by multiple themes that identify plot and character and is infused by such percussive adrenaline and soaring things that Alan has made Ready Player One appear to fly. That's a direct quote from Spielberg. And I think it's absolutely true. I'm downloading the soundtrack as we speak, so I'm excited to listen to it on the way home. Uh, let's talk about Ben Mendelsohn, who had a very key role in this. Uh, you mentioned Rogue One a minute ago. He was, what was his character's name? In, uh, was it General something? Uh, Krennic, yeah. Krennic, yeah. yeah. Uh, same guy there. And, you know, it, it's without a strong central villain, I think any kind of movie is, is going to fall a little flat. Yeah. So he actually knocked it out of the park that's, in this one. That's two in a row for him when he plays a baddie. And I, I think I said to you on the way out, I think... He is like the new Alan Rickman. You remember when Alan Rickman was like the bad guy? He did Die Hard, and he was a sheriff of Nottingham, and then like he was just the, and then he was Snape or yeah, or Snape from the yeah. Harry Potter movies. Like he was just always associated with a with a bad guy. I think Mendelssohn has kind of backed himself into a corner a little bit. He's done some other stuff, but I mean, when you see that guy as a bad guy, or like a Christoph Waltz kind of guy, yeah. right? You know, like you just know he's just he's, he's the villain. Yeah, he's up to no good, <laughs> and he plays it and he chews all the scenery that he's in, just like he did in Rogue One. Uh, he was fantastic. Yeah. Well, we mentioned the Easter eggs a minute ago as well uh, when we were doing our initial thoughts, and we mentioned that IGN noted that there were 138 of them in there. I didn't try to keep track of the number oh, no. as I was watching it. I'm sure I'll see this four or five more times in the next few months, um, but it's a matter of I, why keep track of them, and the point I wanted to make was they fly by so quickly that you notice them, but you're not like browbeaten with them. Correct. And, and I, my, one of my skeptically optimistic fears that I went into this movie thinking about was, were we going to be browbeaten? Was this just going to be a geek out session yeah. of nostalgia and childhood and all of that stuff? And I'm, I'm happy to report that that is not the case. They are. It is a lot of fun. There are a lot of references in there. They're like, oh, there's the, the there's Jason Voorhees and there's Freddy Krueger and there, there's the DeLorean and like it's every time you turn around. There's Duke Nukem if you if you if you watch carefully enough. Yeah. You know, Iron Giant obviously is a big character in it, um, but yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. And the whole movie again is about finding the golden Easter egg, which is just it's so perfect. Now I had a I had a curious thing for you because I wasn't sure whether this was on the neutral ground of I'm not sure if it worked or it didn't work. Okay. There was a little bit of social commentary going on throughout the film uh, about unplugging and about appreciating the real world for what it is and not looking for greener grass in a sort of utopian world. I think while they didn't necessarily try to hide the fact that that was one of the main themes in the movie, I mean, there's the scene at the end where he's like, uh, after he wins, and he's like, we're going to make sure that everybody takes Tuesdays and Thursdays off to spend time with each other. You see him making out with her. Um, 
that's I I personally feel that way about about social media, and I think people can get too wrapped up in it. I think Spielberg obviously is an older man, thinks that way as well, but he also can't escape the fact that it's a part of our culture now. I I, I don't think it was beaten over our heads like it could have been, and I also don't think it was swept under the rug in sort of like a subtle undertone. I think it was I think it was the perfect balance. Yep, it was it was nicely balanced. It the the way that they presented it, you appreciated it, and you're like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't hang out on Facebook so much. Exactly, <laughs> that was kind of my takeaway from it. Um. I want to say something about the the adventure itself, the way that it was set up. Uh, that he passed, the creator of the game, Holloway, passed away, left three keys, and the finder of those three keys would get this Easter egg that would become Willy Wonka. Right? Yeah. Uh, the way that this was done are are found through endlessly in almost all of video games. Yep. And I mentioned World of Warcraft earlier, but there's all kinds of hidden things in Destiny and all kinds of other well, games. Every that game we play, since right? the be- including adventure, sure. like the the first yes. game that the whole final thing is based on. Like look at the look at the car chase. The car and that chase is a real thing, by the way. In right. adventure, yeah, like the like the the big thing at the beginning is it's like you have to figure out the way to beat the boss. There's a there's a trick to beating the boss, and then the first level, if we'll call it that, to get the first key, King Kong is the boss, and we keep racing our cars into it until you figure out the way. Oh, if I drive backwards, I'll you know I figured out the way to beat the boss. You beat the boss, you get the key, and then you go to the next thing. I mean, now we're on to level two, and level two is now we're in The Shining, right? <laughs> Which. Which, if, if you haven't oh. seen The Shining, if you're listening to this, probably by now you've seen Ready Player One, but you should tell people going on, I'm going to, that they need to see The Shining first because there's a whole probably 20 to 30 minute section in there that you just really won't appreciate to the fullest extent oh. if you don't haven't seen The Shining two or three times. And the, the, just the recreation of all of that stuff, like oh. my jaw dropped because we were immediately in that world. When, and, and when you seamlessly transitioned to the staircase <laughs> yeah, in the Overlook yeah, Hotel, yeah. I just went, whoa! Yeah, and then we're in, that, we're in the bedroom and we see the twins down the hallway and then the blood starts coming out of the elevator. I'm like, oh, because you know me, I don't like scary movies and that's the one that I watch every year just to basically tickle my scary bone. Yeah. Oh, just to get that experience as much as I don't like it. Um that was amazing. That's also the the sequence that if I do decide to take my children, they cannot watch whatsoever. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit gruesome, but it's it's, it's so reverential to that material. Uh, to, and like I don't know, and we know that that Spielberg is a Kubrick fan, of course, from the AI uh, collaboration that they did before Kubrick's death. So I think there was probably, and I haven't read about any of this, but I would imagine there was some sort of special care taken in order to do this. I don't think they went to the Overlook Hotel set and and, and did that, but um, it sure looked like it. Yeah, I mean, the amount of CG money that went into this, there's there's uh, spared no expense uh, it was put into creating this world of the Overlook Hotel. The other thing about this was the casting of the kids, I think is very important here. And obviously, this guy has a great track record of working with kids and making kids interact and look good on 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 film. Uh, Ty Sheridan, I think, is the only one that had had some credits before potentially. And which one was that? Uh, he's he's Wally, or oh, okay. uh, he's, he's Wade, or Wade. whatever. Yeah. Wally West. That's another uh, comic book trope. Yeah, that's the Flash. Anyways, um, but the other kids are, are relative unknowns, and they all sort of play like a different role in the team of the High Five. That's almost kind of a like an un sort of. Uh, they don't bring attention to the fact that we're drawing into like this sort of Goonies style thing. And these kids they each have their separate roles and one's the tech person and one's the adventurer and one's the girl. And we're, we're trying to get to the end of the adventure and find the golden key or the skull key in Goonies, you know, and that's another Spielberg production. Um, Jester Copperpot. It doesn't, this movie doesn't work unless the kids work because they're, they're such a, you know, a, a focus of the movie and they nailed it. I, I wanted to save my thoughts on the, uh, the talent and the actors for in the, what didn't work section. Cause I want to touch on it there, but, um, Let's talk about Spielberg himself. Uh, who better to make this kind of movie 
surrounding all of our geekdoms mm-hmm. uh, throughout his catalog than, than Steven Spielberg. The guy that basically created it all, right? I mean, it's a layup for him. It's a, it's a sci-fi movie. It's uh, a bunch of CG work. It's sci-fi things. It's aliens. It's all these things that he likes. And he's even gone on record saying he was geeking out while making this movie. And it shows. And you can use that Spielberg name in the marketing campaign in a way without saying like, yes, yeah, so people will say it's a Spielberg movie. But when people hear it's a Spielberg movie and we're going back and you see a DeLorean, it's like, well... Yeah, I want to see what he's going to do with it. What's he going to do in his own toy box, basically? Well, and, and there's also some cautionary stuff about, oh, no, again, skeptically optimistic. Is this going to be uh, masturbatory in a sense of just <laughs> yeah. wanking over all your own stuff that yeah. you've done? Look how amazing I am. And, you know, and it didn't really do that. It, right. it just, I, unless you know, you know the top line credits of every single film from the 80s and 90s and all of that stuff, which the majority of people probably don't. I right. feel safe saying. Uh, unless you know all of that stuff, you're not going to be able to rattle off every single little detail of each of these things. So it didn't, again, the, the browbeating that I was halfway expecting didn't come, yeah. again, from from Spielberg's references. I think it's important. I think the other thing is is he, I believe in the making of this movie, he said that in the book, which I purposely did not read, by the way, before seeing this, I didn't want to have, and I, and I know people love this book, and people have told me, like, you're the geek, you should totally read this book. I'm like, I totally will. I got it in December on, like, Audible. But I refused to, I was like, ah, if I just wait three months, I'm going to see the movie and just take it as the movie first and then I'll go back and read the book because I'm sure the book is better. Yep. Maybe, maybe not. Um, he made a point, I guess, of taking out a lot of uh, references to other Spielberg stuff. I think maybe E.T.'s in it or some other things because he didn't want to make it look like he was just like, look at all my stuff. He wanted to make sure that he celebrated everything else. Um, I know the rights and licensing must have been just an absolute nightmare. Luckily, Warner Brothers owns Batman and all the, you know, the DC characters. So that was easy for them to show up. And, you know, obviously they made some sort of deal with Blizzard. But I think Spielberg was was good about not being like, here's Indiana Jones. And here, like, I don't know if they're in the book, but it, 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 he did it right. Yeah, he, he did not beat us over the head with it for sure. Well, that's what we thought did work. Um, there's not much that we didn't think didn't work. Didn't think didn't work. Something Did think like that. didn't work. Yeah. There's not much that we thought didn't work, but there were a few things that that maybe stood out in a what would we do different sort of way if we had the opportunity kind of thing. And this is understand. Please don't take any of this too strongly. Grain of salt here. This is super nitpicky kind of filmmaking yeah. stuff. Um, what would I change? Honestly, nothing really. If if I'm being completely honest. There's not many things I would change about this. If I if I had to be super critical about anything, this is what I was referring to a few minutes ago when you were talking about the kids. It would be a bit of the lack of gravitas of some of the actors in the film. We mentioned Ben Mendelsohn. He brought that. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was kind of that anchor centerpiece of the whole film, even though he wasn't one of the main characters, right? He was kind of that center anchor. Everything revolved around IOI and, and his whole organization and the war rooms and things like that. But... In a weird, ironic way, that, that that actually played perfectly into the underdog yeah. pulling it off kind of storyline. Uh-huh. So I I don't know how to feel about that. I, I Of course, any movie you want there to be these big performances that are just grandstanding and they're memorable, but they, re- they really weren't. And at the same time, it it needed they needed to not work for it to be to be a better story. And, and I, I appreciate that for what it is. So I know we're supposed to be talking about what didn't work. Yeah. But I, as much as I want to critique the the actors or the lack of their performances, it, it really did work for the purpose of this film. The other thing that I didn't even write down here that I just thought of actually was um, was the was the with the characters meeting each other outside of the social environment. I think that I think the the danger of that uh, is glossed over a little bit, such as 
you know, maybe this would encourage kids to get into the online social world and be playing online. And, you know, you and I both know from being in that world and playing online that it can be a very nasty, dangerous place with some really bad people, trolls that are yes. talking horribly to people. And you don't know, like, there's the kid that's 11. You don't know if he's 11, but he's just beating you in a game. It's it, it almost like they got along too easily. Like there wasn't any sort of conflict amongst that group, just like there would be like when you meet somebody in person that yeah. you've only been playing on, you know, online with. So that to me is, it's again, a nitpicky thing. It's a cautionary sort of thing where it's like, well, it's not always wine and roses when you play online with five people, you might get along online, but when you meet each other outside, it might not be so good. Maybe their politics are different or whatever, you know, this movie certainly also crosses generations where, you know, the young kids of today can, the teenagers of today can go and watch this, but it's also sort of like all of these things that we see, like an old Apple computer or these old Atari cartridges and all this stuff like that appeals to us. And those are things that are that are important to us. But like as much fun as we had, like seeing all those things that were cool to us, a lot of the younger kids might have no, they probably have no idea what half of these things are. Yeah. You know, if they see a Duke Nukem, they're not going to get that. They might get the Jason and Freddie thing, but they're not going to notice. Uh, maybe they'll, they'll notice the Halo guys, but um, they're, they're not going to notice that that person was playing a ColecoVision. They're not going to see an Apple II C with the two disc drive situation over there and understand what any of that stuff is. Um, it's cool for us or that would see the rush poster or a certain t-shirt that says something space invaders or whatever, you know, they're not going to get that. So it, while it, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, because it gets multiple um, generations into the movie to see it. But at the same time, it, or maybe it helps kids be like, I want to go see the shining out so I can understand that a little bit better, which will terrify a new generation of, yes. of, of teenagers, which I'm fine with. I need, um, I need therapy and I need people to come help me with my, my problems with the shining. That's all. <laughs> well, I don't want too much shine to get on The Shining because then Wilshire Boulevard is going to get excited about it and want to go remake it, and I, that film is not to be touched. I will drive down Wilshire Boulevard with a flamethrower <laughs> if you guys even do, just try to, to remake The Shining. Don't do it. Uh, don't do that. I did, I, we did see that they're going to redo Overboard. We saw a poster for it as a little side note here, and that's that's another one of those that really shouldn't be touched. Uh, what else have you got, Andy? What else do you think didn't work? I have one thing from the technical side, and this is just a nitpick of mine. And okay, um, it's the look of the real world, right? To me, every single Spielberg dystopian sci-fi thing since, like, if you take Minority Report, AI, uh, War of the Worlds, it all has that like gray sort of look to it. And I don't know if that's a conscious choice by him or by Janusz Kaminski, who always shoots his movies. And I understand that there needs to be a differentiation between real world and the you know color explosion that is the virtual world um but it seems like kind of lazy to me it's like i don't want all the spielberg dystopian universes to look exactly the same i want it to kind of have a different look and that's again a total nitpicky thing and i don't have any you know decision making powers in any of this that's something that struck out of me and then i have one kind of off topic one that i thought was kind of weird that okay for me and i had this thought multiple times is that uh, J- uh, Mark Rylance's character as like the wizardy guy yeah. in the virtual world looked too much like the BFG, which is the Spielberg movie that didn't succeed. Did yeah. you just like see like there was like a little like he looked kind of like the BFG with a hood on and it, it, it took me out of it. A little I just bit. I felt like wizard old wizard Gandalf more than than when anything. They go really. in on that close up. It's like, ah, that's the BFG. I see what you're trying Maybe. to do, Mr. Spielberg. Maybe. I get I see what you're up to, Penguin. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, lastly here to kind of uh, start wrapping this up. Where do we rank this in the in Spielberg movies and and if I may I'll go first here yeah I'll, I I have some some thoughts that I really want to weigh in here as many times as as I've seen all of Spielberg's movies throughout my entire life yep uh, all of them over and over and over again it, it's really hard for me two hours now removed from from having just walked out of the theater seeing this one to, to judge it equally within the pantheon of of the Spielberg archive yeah, uh, yeah. right yeah so, I mean, 
it's that good to me to where it will eventually be considered one of his better works and remembered works. Uh, it's not going to be another 1941. It's not going to be... Uh, I'm trying to think of another example. Terminal. I actually like Terminal, so Always. sue me. Uh, but it's different enough from a traditional Spielberg family-oriented story that it made me raise an eyebrow. Yes, you had the kids. Yes, you had the, uh, the overcoming impossible odds and all of that kind of stuff. But it, it, I kind of went, eh, is this a Spielberg movie? I don't think he's made as good of a big popcorn fun thrill ride movie like this since Jurassic Park. Fair. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll say Absolutely. that. I'll say that. Do I think it's, does it go like you said into like his pantheon of like his best films too early to tell. However, it could never be above the classics from him. It's ne- it's never going to be better than ET or close encounters or jaws or any of the Indiana Jones movies, you know, or, or Jurassic park one. The first, let's be clear. And, the first three and, of the Indiana Jones movies. Correct. The, the other one we do not speak yes. of. Um, so I'll, I'll say that, but I will say popcorn throw ride. He's back. I'm glad he did it. And I don't know if he'll do it again. Yes. He's got an Indiana Jones five coming up soon, but we all know how that could go. Um, so yeah, I, I, and the other thing that, that this has going for it or against it, I guess, is the fact that this movie doesn't exist without the stuff he already did. So there's no way it could rank above it, in my opinion. That's a good. That's a good point. Really good way to look at it. Um, I personally, I simply can't imagine another director pulling this off as well as he did to to have the kind of budget that it required to do it correctly, to have the kind of time allowed to do it correctly that that he can command. I mean, most of the other like studios or production companies would be just like, when can we have it? When can we have it? When can we have it? Yeah. Faster, faster, faster. But he probably took the time and was given the budget necessary to really do this justice. And I don't know if there's any other director out there that could have really pulled it off the way that he has pulled this off. I could think of two. You want to hear who they are? Sure. I think Peter Jackson could have done it. Yeah, I'll give you and that. And I think Del Toro could have done it yeah. because of his because of his reverence to pop culture. Sure, sure. But I think number one, Jackson definitely could have done it. Yeah, Jackson probably could have done it. And if you look at the Adventures of Tintin with the two of them working together, there's like there's certain elements of that film, just the CG stuff. Adventures of Tintin. Remember that thing that he did with Peter Jackson? I remember the film. Yeah, him and Peter Jackson co-directed it. You should oh, go back and I didn't watch know it. That. Okay. Circus did it, and Simon Pegg's in it. And yeah, you should go back and watch it. Oh, so there's there's a bit of that in it. Um, how about your final thoughts? Well, yeah, in 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 virtual reality, um, this film was my all time favorite movie for about ten minutes after walking out of the movie theater. This hit on every single chord, everything about me, everything that I am, it just hit me. But but once I realized what that was getting compared against, as we were just talking about, I, I quickly came back to the, air quotes, real world. <laughs> um, I realized that I am the perfect mark for this film. I guess so is what I want to yeah. say is my final thoughts here. I'm an 80s kid and a 90s teenager, and I think there's a distinction there between the two. And we are both of those things. And and we also grew up loving movies and loving video games and everything that Spielberg brought to the table throughout the 80s and 90s and beyond even. Uh, Coupled that with all of the video games that we love and all of the other pop culture stuff that we love, down to and including the Michael Jackson thriller outfit. You know, just throwing that in there for for nods and stuff. Uh, uh, Buckaroo Bandai. Bandai, yeah. Or Bandai, sorry. Uh, Just that kind of stuff. It, it just, it, I am the perfect mark for that. So I, as much as I want to love this film, I do love this film, but it's really hard to get it up there with the Indiana Joneses and the Star Warses yet. I'm not there yet two hours removed from it, but five star. This was fantastic. 
I hundred percent agree with everything you said about eighties, nineties. And, and again, none of this stuff exists without the stuff from the past. I was a kid again, as I was basically watching my history unfold in front of me with the exception of any star Wars stuff, but we'll let that go. Um, so that was pretty fun. I loved it, but I also struggled to find out if it's because of the movie or the story, or if it's more of that like trip down memory lane, not saying that I didn't like it. I I absolutely loved it. I want to see it again. I want to take my kids to see it. Um, it's kind of like when you saw uh, the Expendables for the first time and all of those old action stars were in one thing and you're like, this is amazing. Even oh my movie, God. Even though the movie's not that good. And then you were like two and three. You're like, ah, this is amazing. They're all in the same thing. But, you Heresy. Know, those you, movies are fantastic. You know what I mean? Yes. You know what I mean? But it, I, I try and put Expendables in this movie in the same category is, is stupid, but you see what I'm getting at. Right. So that's the internal struggle that I'm having with it now because my instinct is to not like this because I'm trying to find something wrong with it. I just can't. That's can't. the thing. So I guess I love it. Yeah, I love it. I, I think it was fantastic. If you have not had a chance to see it, this is definitely one to go see in the theaters. I highly recommend the 3D, even though I am not a fan of 3D. I will go out on a limb and say I highly recommend. Thank you for, for lining up the 3D viewing there because it does immerse you even further into that virtual reality world when they go into mm-hmm. that. Not so much in the real world settings, but into that virtual reality world is a big deal. Um, I want to give a shout out to TJ Miller who played Irock yep. uh, in that for doing his typical kind of quips and uh, very comedic timing throughout the the film in in his role. Uh, I think that was that was a great performance. But yeah, I I really really enjoyed this film. You could argue that this podcast doesn't exist without all the elements that are Easter eggs in this movie. I grant you that absolutely. And it's it's a matter of you know if you even take it back to the beginning format that we started with two years ago where we were talking about everything from video games to wrestling to pop culture to TV and movies what about tech consumer yeah. tech and yeah. stuff right the that show was kind of this movie in a weird way it's the culmination of all the things that we love and yeah now, and now we do it in a podcast form so I'm 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 so thrilled that this movie came out and I can't wait to see it again yeah and I am really looking forward I I think I told you I bought the book back in December yep, as well yep, hard, yep. Uh, hardcover copy so I really want to go look at and, and read this book I want to understand the differences and why people are so passionate about it and I want to understand you know maybe what was left out of the film I'm gonna go see this two or three more times at least yeah. in the movie theaters but we got to remember. We've got Avengers Infinity War. It's coming. Coming in three weeks. Yeah, three-ish weeks. Three-ish weeks. And then a couple weeks beyond that, we've got Solo. And Uh, and then summer movies in full gear. We are back just in time, folks. It is the end of March, beginning of April, and we are back full-time on the concession stand. If you were looking for a point-counterpoint critical review of Ready Player One, sorry, we just didn't give it to you. You weren't we going to get look, it on this <laughs> yeah, not, show. Not on this movie. Not on this movie. So uh, what else you got to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I definitely would love for people to, uh, if you unsubscribe for whatever reason, please come back. Resubscribe. We are back now that Mr. Nelson is done shooting. Uh, if you did, if you listen to this, uh, go back and listen to episode number 60. Uh, it's our first episode back after three months of, uh, of a hiatus. Uh, and we're going to continue our weekly show from here on out. Uh, you can come over to Facebook and find us at slash official concession stand or follow us on Twitter at concession stand. We've also got some merch available that we're going to be updating very soon with some new art. It is available over at orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me on Twitter at data center dude. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at Andy Nelson 76 also on Twitter. But until next time. Later. Bye. This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.